French officially. Um, all right, um, so welcome everyone to uh, the January AIDS seminar. And um, hope everyone survived the IC weekend on Saturday. Uh, we have today, is this the first slide? Yes. All right. Today we have uh, speaking uh, Kirsten. Uh, how do you say your last name? Kirsten. Just like it's spelled. And Aaron Metcalf uh, speaking on the epidemiology and health disparities uh, of HIV and STD in New Hampshire. Um, before I tell you a little bit more about the speakers, uh, I need to mention that. Um, the speakers have nothing to disclose. Uh, they don't intend to discuss any off-label or unapproved uses of products or devices, uh, and there's no commercial support for today's activity. Uh, and in addition to receive credit for those who are getting continuing education credit for the conference, you need to be present for at least 80% of the program. And we have a scorekeeper at the door, I'm sure. Um, so uh, briefly on uh, uh, Kirsten and Aaron, uh, both, as mentioned, are MPHs, both with work uh, at the state of New Hampshire in the health department. Um, and uh, Kirsten currently serves, and to just read you briefly their bios so you know a little bit of background, uh, serves as the data and evaluation specialist in the Division of Public Health Services and the Bureau of Infectious Disease Control, uh, and in this capacity provides epidemiological evaluation and quality improvement expertise to many programs, including HIV, STD, uh, and hepatitis prevention uh, programs, as well as the Ryan White HIV care program, the TB program, uh, around which we uh, engaged uh, or are engaging uh, with the case from this weekend inside. Uh, also, um, Kirsten serves as a public health chair of the New Hampshire HIV planning group as a representative of the, uh, to the New Hampshire Health and Equity Partnership, member of the DPHS Quality Improvement Council. Yeah, and then Aaron uh, has been here just a couple years at this point, since 2012, so a relative newcomer, uh, manages the HIV surveillance data for the state of New Hampshire, uh, monitors, helps investigate new diagnosis of HIV, and works with the HIV prevention staff on um, assorted uh, special projects related to um, the HIV positive population in the state. Um, and I think we can probably, uh, with that, hand off those two speakers who we appreciate uh, driving up here today from Concord and we'll look forward to the presentation. Okay, so good afternoon, everyone. Um, I'm Kirsten, and I work as an epidemiologist for the State Public Health Department, and I, um, as Brian said, I, I do work across programs, and HIV is one of the programs that I am able to work with. And today, Erin and I are going to talk a little bit about sort of the state of the state um, around HIV and STDs, some STDs in New Hampshire, and a little bit about um, some work that we've begun to explore around health disparities, particularly to HIV and STDs. And this is really, in that area, we're really sort of at a first pass, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the upcoming work that's going to allow us to be, maybe come back next year with some better information for you. So uh, we're going to, as I said, we're going to talk about this, the current state. Uh, we're going to look at some populations that we know are disproportionately affected by HIV and STDs in New Hampshire. And we're going to look at some comparisons to national measures. Erin um, uh, is going to take, we're going to do a little swapping back and forth, so bear with us. Erin um, is going to take you through some uh, sort of some basic um, epi stuff. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about health disparities. We're going to go through some of the HIV and STD data. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about some of our new and our ongoing projects as they relate to these issues. And then hopefully we'll have some time to take questions. So, Erin. Sure. Yep. Um, I apologize. I have a little cold, so um, it's kind of nasally. I'm very sorry about that. Um, please let me know if you can't hear me because I'm having trouble hearing myself. So, um, 
I guess when we start with EpiTox, and I know I'm in a room of very educated people, but sometimes it's good to just go through some basic terms um, just to kind of remember what we're talking about and how to keep certain populations separate. So um, the overall definition of epidemiology is the study and distribution and determinants of health-related states <clears throat> or events in specified populations and the application of the study to the control of health problems. And we have two separate populations um, that we try to keep separate, incidence being the number of new cases of disease during a certain period of time, and prevalence being the total, so new plus old, of cases of disease in a certain population in a specified time. And we'll try to be very clear when we're showing graphs um, which population we're looking at um, just to minimize any confusion that there might be. And please do interrupt if you have questions. Oops. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so a couple more um, things to keep in mind. State and federal laws require the reporting of certain conditions as soon as they're diagnosed. And so these are usually infectious diseases that can be kept from spreading if proper control measures are taken. <clears throat> and so in New Hampshire, um, under RSA 141C, there are approximately 60 reportable diseases. Um, and these all come into the bureau that Kirsten and I both work for, with the Bureau of Infectious Disease Control. And this is a very broad list. It includes lots of things. Some of them are chickenpox, measles, of course, HIV, tuberculosis, chlamydia. Um, and also, under this law, um, in unusual clusters of disease are also report, um, mandated to be reported. <coughs> So um, as a surveillance epidemiologist, what, what do we do? What can we do with this data? So it, it describes disease in a population. It can make comparisons, and it can show changes over time. Um, of course, there are some limitations. Um, alone, surveillance epidemi epidemiology cannot tell us why certain groups are disproportionately affected or what is causing um, numbers to change or not change over time. Um, <clears throat> oftentimes, when we look People are like, oh, well, why? Why is this group more effective? I, I don't know. You have to do special epi studies to really determine that. Um, but we can certainly show the change with our data. So HIV in New Hampshire, what's, what is reportable? Um, positive HIV diagnostic lab results are reportable within 72 hours. And these usually come to us from providers directly or um, most often from labs. Um, all CD4 counts and percents are reportable. All viral load lab results, both detectable and undetectable, are reportable, as well as any infant exposure. We have had, for HIV um, in New Hampshire, we've had confidential name-based reporting since January 2005. And to give you an idea um, of the scope or the volume of what I deal with on an annual basis, we receive over 13,000 HIV-related labs annually, um, and that doesn't include all of the viral loads that are ordered as part of a screening tool, all CD4s that are ordered from an oncologist or a dermatologist. So those, that's part of what I do um, on a daily basis is weed through what's HIV-related and what isn't. So for STDs, um, what's reportable? <coughs> a chlamydia infection is reportable, a gonorrhea infection, and a syphilis. Infection is reportable. Um, STDs account for the highest burden of reportable disease in New Hampshire, um, and chlamydia alone has greater than 3,000 cases per year. Um, so, in terms of data reporting, um, the biggest one of the limitations is we can only measure what is reported, and there are some um, variables which are notoriously underreported, such as race and ethnicity, risk factor if you're talking about HIV and STDs. Um, country of birth, we have a minority population that's growing. A lot of them are refugees from other countries. Um, primary language, pregnancy status. Um, and so if these aren't reported, we can't measure them and we can't report back on them. Um, it's hard to, dis um, to prioritize populations and distribute grant funds and stuff like that. So it's, oftentimes we're on the phone and providers are like, why do you need this information? I'm very busy. It's very important information for us to have So um, for, these, for these reasons. Um, data that comes in to our bureau is held to very high security and confidentiality standards. We have um, a very robust SNC policy. In 2011, the CDC released guidelines that was meant to encompass HIV, STD, um, TB, and viral hepatitis data and how we manage and store that data. Um, our state used that, um, those new guidelines as an opportunity <clears throat> 
to um, revise our existing policy, which hadn't been revised since the early 2000s, and raise everything up in our bureau to the same standards that HIV data has been held to for all those years. So everything that comes into our data, into our um, bureau now, um, HIV, chickenpox, is held to the same um, security and confidentiality standards, and if we have a breach, they're all handled in the exact same way. This is a very, um, not, ma not many states have such a robust policy, so um, we feel like we're a little bit ahead of the curve on that, which is good. Um, electronic data that comes in, we have some labs that report electronically to us. Um, we have data, of course, that gets faxed in. Everything that comes in, um, all electronic data is stored in encrypted databases on limited access drives and secure servers. Um, for HIV, I send de-identified encrypted data monthly to the CDC through a secure web portal that we have set up. Um, and any paper that comes in is stored in locking cabinets and they're destroyed when no longer needed. Does anyone have any questions on basic EPI and how we handle data and things like that? Yeah. You, you spent some time talking about unreported, uh, the problem of Um, I, it's very hard to tell. I mean, I think there are some national estimates on what, you know, just basic unreported HIV status, for example, um, or people who don't know their status. It's hard to match those numbers to New Hampshire because we're not really representative of the national population in a lot of respects. I don't know. Do you have any estimates on well, how under we are? Our latest, I'm not sure if you're asking specifically about HIV. So I think our latest estimate based sort of on um, what the CDC projects is uh, we, have a, we think about 300 people living in New Hampshire who probably have HIV currently who are not aware that they have HIV. But that's not an underreporting issue. They just, they haven't tested. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's where I'm not sure if we have. In, in New Hampshire, it, we have such a high rate of rapid testing that it's probably a case that they have not been screened, but there may be some people in there who are who were screened um, and do <coughs> didn't receive their results. Yeah. If they're in care. If they're in care. Yeah. Yeah, we have a separate cohort of people that do know their status but are not currently in care. We'll have So Kirsten's going to talk a little bit about specific health disparities. So um, I never quite know uh, how familiar people are with uh, work being done around health disparities when I come into a room, but I, I kind of assume this, this room might be a little ahead of the game um, of most rooms that we go into. but. Uh, you know, oftentimes now we will use the terminology health equity instead of health disparity, but I think in this case it's sometimes it's uh, particularly important to really talk, use the word disparity and, and talk, about, um, talk about that in particular. So we're going to do that today. So uh, really when we talk about health disparities, we're talking about so the differences in quality of health across different populations or even segments of different populations that could represent an inequality doesn't necessarily represent an inequality. And we look at disparity across lots of domains, um, sex and gender, age, sexual orientation, geographic regions. You'll often hear people say, tell me your zip code and I'll tell you how healthy you are, and that's pretty accurate. Um, in New Hampshire, we, we uh, look a lot at socioeconomic status, and in particular, uh, for this presentation, we've, we've, we're looking at race and ethnicity. And while New Hampshire historically has not had a particularly diverse population, we are growing in diversity, particularly in the southern tier of the state, and so uh, it's become really critical in some areas of our state to look at these issues. So when we're looking for um, health disparities, we're going to be looking at rates and percentages of diseases across certain populations, and we will compare them sometimes to national estimates, uh, sometimes to previous years, if we can, to look for trends, uh, often to other populations, and um, sometimes we'll do all, all three of these. 
So we're looking for, uh, to identify differences in disease rates in the New Hampshire population of interest and compare them to national regional estimates or other populations in New Hampshire. And I just want to talk really quickly and just make sure that we're clear that when we talk about rates, we're really looking at proportions of um, cases amongst the population size that we're talking about. So if we're talking about, um, as we will in a little bit when we, when we talk about chlamydia in particular, if we're talking about white adolescent women in New Hampshire, uh, we're looking at numbers of cases uh, as a proportion to the population size of white adolescent women in New Hampshire. So we're trying our best to really do that apples to apples comparison. So when we do that, we look, uh, does the data indicate an inequitable distribution of disease or a disease burden? And um, we do see that sometimes. So as I said, New Hampshire is a state that's becoming more racially and linguistically diverse. Um, we see that more often in the larger population centers, which are in the southern tier of the state. Uh, currently, uh, between 2000 and 2010, minorities represented 50% of the population gain in New Hampshire, which is, which is rather high. And um, what we see is that uh, racial and ethnic diversity is greater amongst our younger populations in New Hampshire, and, and that the minority population in New Hampshire is significantly younger than the non-minority population. So um, oftentimes people will say, well, New Hampshire you know, is a very, um, there's not a lot of diversity in New Hampshire. Why are you looking at these issues at this time? Well. You know, we know that New Hampshire is growing in diversity and that it's going to grow significantly sometime in the next 10 years, probably. And when we talk about that the younger population is um, more diverse than the older population in New Hampshire, it becomes really important, particularly when we're talking about diseases like HIV and STDs, because we see the rates are, are very high in younger populations. You're doing HIV. Okay. <clears throat> so um, now this, I know, is the part that everybody's looking forward to. So I'm going to go through the, the HIV, some of the HIV epidemiology, and then Kirsten's going to do some of the STD epidemiology. Let me just get where we are. <clears throat> okay. So in New Hampshire, the, the epidemic, if you can call it that, um, it's, it, epidemic kind of implies rising numbers, but we've had a very stable epidemic. We average 46 new infections per year. That's 2008 to 2012. And most infections are among males, among people aged 20 to 40. They're mostly in the southern part of our state, which makes sense. That's where most of our population is. And they're mostly among men who have sex with men or MSM. You'll see that acronym a lot. Um, you'll see the, also the acronym PLWHA, that stands for people living with HIV or AIDS. You can think of that as our prevalence. And the data, um, the prevalence data that I'm going to show you is data as of December 31st, 2011, which I realize um, is a bit old. Um, part of, one of the limitations with HIV surveillance data is that the data validation process is so very long, it takes over a year. So um, <clears throat> at, this, at this point, um, the best data that um, we can release is as of December 31st, 2011. So if we look at um, our prevalence by age group, you'll see a very nice bell curve with the burden of our um, population having HIV or AIDS is in 40 or older. Um, although I did say that most of our new infections are among the 20 to 40 age range. Um, you'll notice there are some very young people living in our state with um, HIV. Those are not babies being born with HIV. Those are um, refugee children who come in as a previous positive or um, uh, parents who adopt children who they know to be positive from outside the country. We have very few perinatal cases, less than one a year. Um, if you look at the same graph but break it down by age and gender, you'll see that there are many, many more males and females, almost three times as many living in our state with HIV. But the bell curve is still the same for both, um, for both genders. Um, by current county, this is um, their, their current 
residents, not their residents at diagnosis. Um, most are living in Hillsborough County, followed by Rockingham and then Merrimack, um, and very few living in the northern part of our state. Um, I like to take this slide as an opportunity to talk about our data release policy, which goes hand in hand with our security and confidentiality policy. And the biggest, um, the biggest point with our um, data release policy is, is we can't release data that could be constructively identifying. So I couldn't take those 19 people in Coas County and show it to you broken out by gender or show it to you broken out by race and ethnicity or risk factor um, because it could potentially be constructively identifying. Um, it's not that we don't look at that data. We do. We look at it a lot, um, but we just can't release it publicly. Um, by region of birth, the vast majority of our cases are U.S. born. Um, we do have some that are born outside the U.S. and then some that we group into this U.S. dependency, which is Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. <clears throat> and if we look at those um, 157 that were uh, born outside the U.S., most of them are African born, followed by Central and South America, followed by other regions, <clears throat> which is Europe and Canada and the Middle East. Um, and then Asia, and then the Dominican Republic, which we group into its own category. <clears throat> so by risk factor, you'll see um, our total population mostly is um, among men who have sex with men, followed by those who report heterosexual contact as their only risk factor, which does include high-risk heterosexual, so females having sex with a, a male who's known to be infected. Um, followed by injection drug use, IDU. This NIR and NRR category stands for no identified risk or no reported risk. Um, that is a category which we're always trying to narrow down and um, you know, get lower and lower. The CDC standard um, is to have 15% uh, or fewer um, categorized as no identified risk or no reported risk. So we do meet the standard, but it is something that we would like to be better. Um, very few perinatals, as I mentioned, and the other category, which is um, mostly people who've been living for a very long time with HIV or AIDS who were infected through a blood transfusion or something like that. <clears throat> By race and ethnicity, um, the majority of our population who living with HIV is white. Um, HIV surveillance data is a little bit funny. They group Hispanic in as a, as a race and ethnic category. Most STD data that you'll see, it's broken out. So 72% um, so of our population is white, 13% <clears throat> is black, 12% Hispanic, 2% um, reports multi-race, and then 1% is Asian or Pacific Islander. What's interesting when we look at um, our HIV population compared to our New Hampshire population is you'll see some very clear, um, I guess you can call it disparities. So 1% of our New Hampshire population as of the 2011 census data was black, but 13% of our HIV population is black. Similarly with Hispanics, 3% um, of our New Hampshire population um, reports a Hispanic race and 12% of our HIV population. Uh, reports their race to be Hispanic. So these are what we keep in mind when we're focusing prevention and intervention efforts that Kirsten will talk about a little bit more. <clears throat> so these are rates. Um, these are case rates per 100,000. This is from a very nifty tool on the CDC website called Atlas. You can um, select diseases, you can select different variables, and then, you'll, and then you can select a state and it will pop up with um, what your what they've interpreted your state's data to be compared to the national picture. So what's interesting to note nationally, um, people who report white as their race um, have an 8.1 case rate per 100,000. Um, in New Hampshire, uh, whites have a 3.8 uh, case rate per 100,000. Blacks, you can see it's very high nationally or much higher nationally. In New Hampshire, we have a higher case rate per 100,000 for blacks as well. It doesn't exactly match the national population, which is fine. New Hampshire's population isn't representative of the national population. But I think the main point here is if we're going to compare blacks to whites in New Hampshire, for those who are di being diagnosed with HIV, um, blacks have a 13 times higher case rate um, as compared to whites in New Hampshire. 
And you see also there's a, there's a difference among Hispanics as well. Um, and something else that has been of interest lately, um, and we're trying to get a better grasp on it, is our co-infection data with STDs. So <clears throat> um, this chart is showing our case counts for 2011 and 2010 for infectious syphilis, gonorrhea, and chlamydia. And then the bottom is showing known STD and HIV co-infection among those people who were diagnosed. Um, this data is considered incomplete uh, because we um, have only been collecting this data for a very short amount of time. We have newly hired DIS staff who are um, any STD that they investigate. They're attempting to, um, to determine the HIV status of these people. We expect these numbers um, to, to be better as the years come. There are some limitations to our HIV surveillance data. Um, as I mentioned, we have small numbers. We have very small numbers. And we can't release data that could be potentially constructively identifying. Um, as, as interesting as it would be to look at it, and we do look at it, we just, um, it, it's hard to release that data to everybody who's interested in knowing. Um, HIV numbers are likely an underestimate um, to some of the reasons that we spoke about before. Um, the people who are living with an unknown status, um, underreporting from providers, um, or those who do know their status who are seeking care um, outside of our state, we might not know about them. Um, so we have some STD numbers coming up, which we threw these in here because <clears throat> some of them, especially um, for chlamydia, are more robust and we can do a little bit of a deeper analysis and um, populations infected with STDs um, might have similar risk factors to HIV, although you can't make a direct correlation. So Kirsten's going to do. Are there any questions on HIV surveillance data before we go on? There will be time for questions at the end. Okay. So <clears throat> we've sort of made a, a sort of a decision internally that whenever we go and talk about HIV, we're going to talk about STDs as well, um, simply because you, you really can't, um, you really need to look at these as comorbidities. And, and it's, it's it, in our department, we really work very closely together. Uh, we fund prevention programs that are linked STD and um, S STD and HIV, as well as TB and, and hepatitis C. Um, but so it's really important that we're talking about STDs as well. So uh, STDs are very common in New Hampshire, uh, particularly chlamydia, and chlamydia is actually our most common reported disease, infectious disease in New Hampshire, uh, with over um, 3,000 over 3,000 cases in 2011. We think that number is probably going up in 2012. Um, in, in 2003, there were 1,610 cases of chlamydia reported. Uh, between 2003 and 2011, a lot of things happened. Uh, we think there was probably a, a lot of education done around uh, provider reporting of chlamydia cases. There was also uh, funding and resources that were devoted to chlamydia screening in young women as part of infertility prevention work. So, um, but we see that our gonorrhea cases and our infectious syphilis cases are staying fairly steady between 2003 and 2011. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about chlamydia because, because it's so common, we're able to look at it by different populations. We have uh, less of the ability to do that with gonorrhea and unfortunately with our um, primary um, secondary and early latent syphilis cases with only 26 in 2011, we're not really able to, to do a lot of work with that right now. So just some very basic information first. This is 2011 data. Um, this is uh, only 2011 data, just to keep in mind. Uh, we saw, this is chlamydia. Um, we see what we expect to see, which is the the vast majority of cases are in our uh, 13 to 24-year-old population, which is our target chlamydia population. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, th that population by race uh, in a little bit. Uh, the, you know, almost three-quarters of those cases were in females. Again, not, not a surprise. These are very much in line with national numbers, by the way. Um, 
like HIV, we see most of our cases in Hillsborough County and then uh, lesser, a little bit lesser on the seacoast. And, um, and as you go north, the numbers go down. And most of our, most of our cases um, are in uh, uh, white females in New Hampshire. So, but then when we look at sort of try to tease it apart a little bit, and I just want to do a quick reminder that this is first pass. Um, we're, I'm going to talk a little bit about a project we have going on that's going to sort of delve a little bit deeper into this data over the next year. Um, but when we start to pull out these chlamydia numbers and we look at females in, in 2011, females only, um, which is, remember, this is the 72% of our cases were females. Uh, we look at the national case rate of uh, uh, women, white women, for chlamydia in 2011 was 232.7 per 100,000 persons. Um, so remember, that's looking at a proportion of the number of cases per uh, the population size of white women nationally. And in New Hampshire, we're, we're pretty equivalent to that at 263.4. But then when you look at, you pull out adolescents age 15 to 19, which is our sort of adolescent population, and then 20 to 24, which is what we sort of call our young adult population, and we often now sometimes talk about expanded adolescence as 15 to 24, um, you see that, that that case rate jumps significantly, um, which really makes sense. Uh, we, we know that this is a, a disease that, that affects young women in particular. In New Hampshire, we're actually very much in line um, with the national rates. Uh, you see that we have a, a slightly higher case rate amongst uh, the young adult population, which is interesting. Um, I can't really tell you why yet, but we hope to sort of look at that uh, and try to sort that out in a little bit. If you look at black women, you can see that the case rate nationally in comparison to white women at 232.7, the, the case rate for black women, uh, chlamydia case rate in 2011 was 1563 per 100,000, which is pretty amazing, really. And then if you look at young black women, it jumps to 7,500 7, per 100,000, which is, if it's not stunning to you, it, it, it should be. I mean, it, it really is quite amazing. And um, in New Hampshire, we, while we don't come close to this case rate, we do have a pretty significant um, jump from all black women to young black women, which is not unusual. We would expect to see that. And actually, interestingly, we're very much in line with white young women. Um, which is not really uh, necessarily what we expected to see because that's really slightly out of line with national measures. So again, that's going to be something that we're going to look at. I just want to make a reminder, this is 2011 only. Um, and when we look at maybe five years of data at one time, we may see something very different. Um, if we look at our uh, American Indian... Alaskan native population, we see that they have a, 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 you know, they're about three times the rate of white women in New Hampshire. This is all women, all ages. Any questions on this slide? Kim? Is there any way that you can look at, what, um, you know, things that might be related to screening bias? You know, like maybe whether they have health insurance or not, that, or, you know, something, something like that that would... Yep. Maybe you could give you a chance to pull that out. Yeah, um, I think we, I think that's a great idea, and I we are we do have a project going on. Um, it's we've just started. It's a it's a needs assessment, very big HIV needs assessment, but we have included all STDs, TB, and hepatitis C in that as well. And um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. But one of the things that we've really asked our contractor to look at over the next year. Um, is to break down, to, to sort of drill down these disparities as much as possible and um, uh, sort of take a health equity focus. And 
so I think that that's something that we're going to make an attempt. I know it's something we're going to make an attempt to do. I can't tell you at this point exactly how successful we're going to be. Um, yeah, I guess the but Yep. Yep. We have talked about that as well. Yep. Okay. So just really quickly again, you know, with gonorrhea, we are looking at a much smaller number of cases. Uh, so it, it once we drill down to subpopulations, we look at race and then age or race, age, and uh, geographic location. We, we're into numbers that are, are simply too small to really work with in New Hampshire. And, and with syphilis, I don't even have a chart for syphilis because the numbers are so small to begin with. Um, but um, we, I can tell you that the, you know, the national rate of gonorrhea in 2011, this is men and women, uh, oops, sorry. It was 25.2 and in white men and women and 427.3 in black men and women, which is incredibly significant. And in New Hampshire, we were much lower at 8.3, but if you see the difference between um, white men and women and black men and women, all ages, uh, again, because, because we can't really look at subpopulations at this point, um, there's a significant uh, increase amongst black men and women. Same is true with Hispanic men and women. How many cases are there? Uh, gonorrhea, black we... Women, is this like four women or is, is this... No, no, there were... Uh, there were uh, no, I would have to go back and look exact. Do you remember? Yeah, but I don't think it has it broken down by... Oh, maybe it did. Sorry. I think we just had chlamydia here. It's 122 cases of gonorrhea. Um, it's it's. So you're talking about a dozen cases of. So these numbers are are huge, but they're based on. They're based. Is this like, is this like a, a social network of of three families or three? Yeah, and from and from year to year, any small increase uh, or, or you know any small cluster of gonorrhea will will look like a very significant increase in these rates. Um, those in 2011, I don't think we had any related. We didn't investigate any outbreaks, so they're probably not related cases. Um, but, but we've seen we similar things in the HIV data in years, and when we did, when we looked at it based on you know five-year averages, you know just kind of back in the envelope stuff at CPG meetings, you know, five-year averages still had much higher mm -hmm. higher rates. Oh yeah. Much higher. It's just that there, with such a small number of actual cases, it's hard to put too much stuff in the actual number. And then maybe they, maybe there's a, maybe it's a cluster of a small social network that, that passes this, as opposed yeah. to. Uh, that was not the case in these with this year of data, and we actually had an increase in 2012. In, um, in syphilis, it almost doubled in 2012, and um, we did investigate it as though it was an outbreak and. Our, you know, we looked at various um, variables and grouped them by certain demographics, and I think our, was it greater than or equal to two standard deviations? Mm -hmm. Yes, greater than or equal to two standard deviations, and we found that there was not um, anything significant, but, but it certainly was an increase, and it was worrisome. So we do look at it when we see yeah. sharp, sharp increases. But I think I think your point is very valid, which is you know we it, we often when when we're talking about disparities and the numbers are very low, um, you know we know that the burden amongst certain populations is much higher, um, but the case numbers remains 
low. So when you're talking about very limited resources, the question becomes, where do you put them? Where do you put those resources? And I think this is just one piece of the puzzle. Um, with uh, chlamydia, you know, we're talking about a, a slightly different issue because the numbers are, are fairly significant in amongst different populations. With gonorrhea, uh, we'd really have to think very clearly about do we want to target resources to, um, in this case, black men and women, although we know that the burden is much higher amongst black men and women, that's still a very small number of cases that we're talking about each year. Any other questions on this? Yes, Kim? It might help if you could do it to, to just put confidence intervals around the numbers. Because they are, you know, they do. And we, and we will. We, we, are, we will do that um, when uh, the needs assessment work that's being completed now will have that. So uh, just to sort of recap, um, you know, we, we do know that in New Hampshire we're seeing certain populations that are disproportionately affected by certain diseases. Um, this is not unique to infectious disease. We see this in um, our chronic disease bureau as well. Um, we know that, uh, as Aaron stated, black men in New Hampshire were 12 times more likely to get an HIV diagnosis in 2011, and that chlamydia rates among black and Hispanic women are higher than white women. That's all ages. When we look at adolescent populations, they were fairly even, which is an interesting question we're going, we want to examine. Um, but what's, you know, something that's that we know nationally and we believe to be the, probably the case in New Hampshire, although we'll have more information about this in the coming year, is that in particular to HIV, we know that these gaps are actually widening and they're not decreasing, um, that uh, black and Hispanic males and compared to white males um, are, are increasing their disease burden and MSM in comparison to non-MSM are actually, their rates are going up. So this is significant. Um, because it really tells us that certain populations are either not getting uh, screened, they're not getting a good preventive message, and we may want to think about where we're putting some of our resources. Um, because we know that our state is growing in diversity, again, this is uh, sort of a take-home message for us to really think about. So, you know, it, at the health department and all of you as um, clinicians or non-clinicians, you know, you, we all seek to ensure that people in New Hampshire have an equitable opportunity for achieving good health and well-being. So it's, it's really important that we begin to talk about these issues. And when we talk about disparities and um, uh, uh, disease burdens, we can think about where we direct our resources. Our resources at the state are decreasing, like everywhere else. Um, some, some, uh, in some areas, they're decreasing significantly. So it's really important that we think really critically about where we put those resources. Um, it also helps us to think about policy development at our local and our state level as well. So, for example, uh, in our state, we have had for many years very targeted interventions that were funded for particular populations. Uh, that were evidence-based populations that had been tested out in particular populations or subpopulations, and then we would uh, fund that intervention to be here in New Hampshire. Uh, we also have funded sort of widespread prevention measures, uh, things like increasing testing in primary health care settings, just looking at uh, testing across the board, for, you know, for HIV or chlamydia. And um, it's it's really important that we look at this information so we can determine, you know, where's the best place to put our resources. Maybe it's a combination of both. So, currently, um, some of the work that we have going on is we do, we are funding uh, some targeted testing work uh, around HIV and, and hepatitis C. Uh, so hepatitis C, as I'm sure you all know, is in New Hampshire is not a reportable disease. Um, we are uh, the only state in which that is the case. And so it becomes very difficult to talk about um, hepatitis C in New Hampshire because we don't have any surveillance data to really look at. We do fund um, some testing, and uh, we are 
beginning to capture some uh, uh, positivity rates amongst, you know, where we have some very targeted testing going on. For us, it's really uh, our targeted population is, um, in New Hampshire anyhow, is um, injection drug users, active or, or past injection drug users, and often this is incarcerated population, and we are seeing uh, some return of positive results, but it's a very small number of tests that are going out currently. Um, we also uh, have some contracts around clinical services where, again, it's a very targeted population that's getting tested. Um, we also do some uh, targeted HIV screening amongst MSM. This is mostly in our southern part of the state. And um, in Manchester, we uh, do contract for targeted testing with black and Hispanic women. Um, we also provide HIV test kits to lots of testing sites that may be testing um, not that may be testing outside of these populations, and that's good too. And we're collecting that information. Um, if if sites take uh, test kits from the state of New Hampshire, they have to provide us with the data um, after they, they do the screening, which is good for us because when we can, we can really capture those numbers. So um, I've referred to this several times. We are, we are contracting uh, to have this comprehensive needs assessment done. It is focused mostly on HIV, however, we have really um, asked that it look at HIV and all HIV comorbidities as well. So um, this needs assessment is, is going to have an equity focus. Uh, we've really asked them to drill down as much as possible with the, with the existing data sets. And we're, we're not, you know, here we're not talking about just one year of data. We're talking about at least, at least five to ten years of data that they're going to be looking at. Um, it has a consumer and a provider assessment component. Some of you may um, hear from our contractor. If you're a provider here in New Hampshire, you probably will. If you're a consumer, you may as well. Um, and we'll be looking at HIV, we'll be looking at all STDs, all reportable STDs, um, which right now is uh, chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis, and um, tuberculosis, and hepatitis C. It will also have, as a part of it, a component, the updated integrated epi profile, um, which really is a, a very comprehensive data report uh, the last one that was completed in New Hampshire was completed in 2005, so it's been a while, and we're, we're really excited about this. Uh, it, it, we really think that there's a lot of work going into it, there's a lot of resources going into it. It's going to take probably another year to complete, and at that time, you know, we would love to come back and share with you the information that we find there, and we expect to find some, some really good information. Um, lastly, I just want to talk briefly about this. You may have heard of somewhere else, maybe somebody's come and talked to you about this, what we're calling the recapture program. And this is really looking at this cohort of people that we sort of refer to as our unmet need, um, which uh, Aaron and the surveillance group has done significant work on really identifying who this population is in New Hampshire. So these are people who um, know that they have HIV, um, but have are not currently in care. So, um, so, so it's people who haven't had any evidence of medical visit or routine blood work in over 12 months. So, if we're not getting um, a CD4 count or a viral load on somebody for over a year, then they go into this unmet need category. That's our that's sort of our assumption. If we're not getting the information, they have fallen out of care, and we want to. One, find out why, and two, uh, get them back into care. So this program has, um, we, have a, we have a dedicated prevention staff person who is in the sort of development phase for this program, but he's looking at other states and how they do their work and what we can build here in New Hampshire. So they're going to be um, identifying, uh, we, have a, we have an identified unmet need cohort of how many? Um, three. Uh, Yeah, it's it, like about, just about, under 300. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so I think it's like more like 254 or something. 
Yeah, every year it changes because we've been keeping track of this cohort for a couple of years now, but we haven't been able to do anything with it until we hired the, the um, DIS who will be doing that work. Um, and so as, as people come back into care, maybe they, they had some kind of medical visit encounter and it triggered some kind of lab. And so we'll look into that, make sure it wasn't just an emergency room visit or something like that, because we can't, that's not really being in care, you know. Um, or we do, we do death um, surveillance, so if we find that someone has died, maybe in state or out of state, um, we take them off the, the unmet need list. So it's a, it's a, it's a moving target, yeah. um, and we're, uh, we update it annually or more frequently to find out information. So yeah. um, and we work very closely with our prevention staff on that. But I think um, the surveillance group has done really good work at, at sort of um, identifying as best we can with who this cohort really is at this point. So um, this person is going to identify, we're gonna sort of tier highest, you know, priority of that 290 whatever. Yes. So all of this data, you're looking for reported data to you. Do you do any data mining on existing databases to see how that correlates to what you're getting? We match our list against our care program. Um, to see if there are people who are having regular visits but not having labs for whatever reason, and right. we make sure that those people are, um, you know, that's on purpose, and that's the way, you know, um, we wouldn't count those people necessarily as being out of care. Um, again, and we, like I mentioned, we match against national death databases and our in-state death certificate database. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we, we do the best we can with the resources we have. HIV surveillance is a staff of one and a half. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have rotating projects all year long, and this comes up once a year, and we, we do the matching and the data mining about once a year. Yeah. Yep. Um, did that answer your question? Okay. Um, so uh, they're really going to tier that group uh, and identify sort of the highest priority group, and then their job will be to go out, find them, identify why they're not in care, and, and we hope link them back into an appropriate care and then really more importantly retain them in care. Um, so we're in the process now of, of developing the program. We're also developing the evaluation process for the program which we'll be looking at probably a year um, to a year and a half out for each time, each patient that's linked back in care to be looking at them a year later and identifying if they're successfully retained in care or not. So this is a project that's going on in lots of states, and New Hampshire's, um, we're, we're really excited to have this happening here. So those are just, those are not all of the ongoing or, you know, new projects, but those are a few of the highlighted ones that we wanted to talk about. And I think we'll take any more questions if there are any. Yes. I, I have a question which, in the category of creating some more resources for you guys so you can do other of those cool projects. Why do we send you all of our CD4 and viral load numbers? And I know that our lab staff actually write a letter or we generate a letter for each one of the time we do a viral load, which we do every three months. Yeah. That says, you know, this is a known HIV patient. I, I, it feels like there ought to be some way to do that reporting without doing that much reporting. <laughs> um, <laughs> Dartmouth is by far our largest reporting source for HIV, so it, I'm, it definitely feels, I'm sure, like a huge burden for your lab staff to report that. Um, New Hampshire is unique in that all CD4s and all viral loads are reportable. Um, we're a little bit ahead of the curve on some states. Some states only have CD4s reportable below 200, or only have viral loads reportable if they're detectable. Um, it helps us, we have very, very good HIV surveillance data in New Hampshire. We meet all of our objectives, and the only way we're able to have such good data is because we have reporting like this. Um, we, and, and the other part of it is, um, at the national level, HIV and AIDS is considered two separate, someone will, will eventually progress to AIDS, and we need to know at what point they do that based on a CD4 count. Um, so, or an opportunistic infection of some kind, which are also reportable. Um, so, um, it, it, I'm sure it seems like a burden, um, but it's, it's very important. I was just thinking it would be enough to label data that go to you as old case versus new case. And we know that because mm -hmm. we have a database, and so when it comes to me, I just 
put it in as a routine. Um, so could our lab staff stop generating the letter that goes along with it? It feels like there's work <laughs> no, we need to know who that person is. We need to know who that person is. Um, we are approaching, or we have approached Dartmouth in the very recent mm -hmm. past about electronic lab reporting. So that should um, decrease the burden significantly in the very near future. So we hope. We hope. <laughs> Who's doing that to conversion to, to target people? Maybe we target. <laughs> Well, every time you do that, you open up the possibility for, for confidentiality issues. And that's one of the major components of this. Um, we already have LabCorp and Mayo reporting electronically to us. We're in testing with ARUP labs, um, and then and we're doing a pilot project with um, Androscoggin Hospital, Cottage, and Elliott. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, every part of this is um, secure. We test everything first. We have very clear procedures about how a breach would be handled, which we don't have very often, thank God. Um, and Concord Hospital and Dartmouth are our next, hopefully, um, pilot hospitals to test this out. So um, it would make everybody's job a lot easier. I have a couple of questions. One, one about your linkage care project, which is great. Mm -hmm. Are you going to be, as part of that, Yes, we are. Uh, we will be collecting that. Um, we're we're sort of, as I said, we're the program itself is in the development phase, but we hope to go to implementation fairly soon. Um, but as part of the development phase, we're really looking at the evaluation process as well, and and we want to make it uh, uh, significant in that it gives us good information, but not so burdensome that it's that it's overwhelming because we do have less than one full-time staff working on this project. Um, so, but those are some of the questions that we, we've sort of got as evaluation questions as well. We're aware that patients who enter into our programs seldom get lost care. Yes. And so wondering about whether there are dozen or more case management books that we would introduce uh, that Yeah. My, yeah, I mean, I would expect to see that as well, um, that that may be an issue as well. And um, part of this program will be not just linking into appropriate medical care, but trying to ensure that there's ancillary services are available as well. One question on um, STD. Is the, how robust do you feel the um, non-HIV STD is in relation to um, he's asking about the the quality of data reporting around STD oh, and if corrections <coughs> reports. Yeah. So yep. typically, I mean, most things, most lab reports, um, the report to the health department is triggered automatically through the lab where they're tested. So we'll get a lab, um, you'll say positive for chlamydia, and then our STD surveillance person will take that lab, check in our existing database. If they don't see that person, they'll assume it's a new infection and they'll, do, they'll reach out to providers. Um, I, so you're confident that all the labs do automatically? I can't possibly imagine we're missing something. We get so much. But I suppose there always is the possibility that a lab wouldn't know the reporting requirements um, and, and therefore wouldn't be reporting. Um, so, yeah. That's something that um, I know HIV surveillance uh, at the national level is looking at and, and they um, are really encouraging states that don't have it already to make all viral loads and all CD4s reportable um, just to make sure that I think in terms of STD screening, um, there has been some talk recently about sort of these walk-in um, lab sites and, um, you know, doing some education and work with those sites in, in terms of reporting and also referral on for treatment and care. So, Kim, did you have? Uh, just a couple things. One of them, um, uh, 
Oh, I was looking at the BRFSS data mm -hmm. not that long ago, and um, you guys report it through uh, like 2008 or six. Or, no, I think the last time I saw it was like 2000, 2005 in the um, yeah, um, in the last uh, HIV surveillance report. The national data shows show for uh, when they did it by state showed that New Hampshire's rate of screening has dropped pretty significantly. Um, so you might want to take a look at those data. They've got both the um, uh, screened in the last 12 months and ever screened, and it was kind of drop declining kind of steadily, but really a pretty substantial drop in the most recent, which was 2011, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and I wonder if they've got that by they, they probably have it by race, so it would be another way for you, for you to look at, at uh, disparities. Mm -hmm. um, so that was. Uh, that was one thing. Yep, we um, we will be looking at the Burfus data as part of the needs assessment as well. Mm -hmm. Any other questions from the 